I like to say that we don't just heal for healing's sake. We heal because healing is required for us to live out our purpose. Like healing is what gives us our purpose, our ability to go and be who God has made us to be. You have an important role to play in the world and in your world that you have right now. You have an important role to play in your family, in your work team, in your neighborhood. You have an important role to play and that role is to be the fullness of who God has made you to be. Welcome to Let's Be Real, a completely honest, entirely practical conversation about how to live our lives with freedom, purpose, and abundance. Popular author and communicator Nicole Eunice brings her 20 years of experience as a counselor, pastor, and coach to a real conversation about the tricky questions and tough decisions in life, and how to find clarity in action no matter what obstacle you may face. Have a topic to suggest or a tricky situation you need help with? We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email or voice memo to Nicole at NicoleEunice.com. We might feature you on the show. And now here's your host, Nicole Eunice. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Let's Be Real podcast. My name is Nicole Eunice, and I am an author, pastor, coach, here to be real with you about the things that we are thinking about in life and wondering about and want to grow through and in. And that's really what we're here to do together in this episode. My hope is that you will be encouraged, that you will maybe think differently about some things. I love hearing from you. I love hearing how you all are thinking and the questions that you have about how to grow in freedom and purpose and abundance in this life. Because here's one thing that I truly believe in my deepest heart. Life is hard and we need all the help we can get. Now that doesn't mean that life is not good and life is not beautiful and that there aren't times of bliss. I absolutely think that there are, but I also think that life is hard and life requires advisors and wisdom and thought and counsel. And Let's Be Real is really a place for us to do that together. I certainly have benefited so much in my life from pastors and coaches and counselors and friends who have led me to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus and to think deeply about my life and my limitations, my sin, um, the places that God is freeing me up as he continues to do every day that we have on this earth. We are never done growing. We are never done becoming. We are still in process. And when you become confident in your identity as a child of God, you can also become courageous in your transformation process because you're no longer feeling like everything that's hard is about your identity and about your worth. When your worth is secure as a child of God, then you can have the confidence and the courage to grow. Um, We don't grow in shame. We may change, we may act like we've grown, but we don't grow in shame. We shrink in shame. We grow when we know where identity lies and we're willing and able then to enter into more and into our full purpose and our full destiny in Christ. And so I'm here to answer some questions for you guys anytime. If you want to send me a voice memo, Nicole at NicoleEunice.com. Super easy to do. You just take your phone and you record a memo and then you hit the little box in the upper right-hand corner and it will take you to your email and you can send it right to me. Uh, We'd love to feature you on the show. So I've got a couple of questions today, but before we do that, I want to say if any of you out there are feeling a stirring like you're entering in to a new season and 
you've been thinking about that new season and feeling like you need more support and encouragement to really be able to live that out, I want to invite you to a new opportunity that we've put together, which is a four-week coaching group called Living Big When Your World Feels Small. And this is really a launching pad Kickstarter for you to connect to other like-minded people who are also trying to make that next step and need a little bit more encouragement. So if that sounds like something you might be interested in, I want to encourage you to check out my free webinar, nicoleunis.com slash find your purpose. You can sign up for that webinar and just get a little taste of the kind of work that we do together in that group, the way that we connect to one another, the teaching and coaching that I do in that small intimate group. All the groups are very small and it's just a great way to take that next step if you are feeling like you need a little bit more. So go check it out, nicoleunis.com slash find your purpose. Alrighty, friends, let's do your questions now. I've got three questions that I want to talk about today, and I'm going to start with Ruth, who left me a voice memo, uh, an encouraging memo about what she's learning about anger and depression. And I just wanted to, to share those thoughts with you all as we finished up our boundaries series, because one thing that Ruth was asking about, talking about, was the link between anger, depression, and boundaries. So I just want to talk about that for a moment because for many of us, particularly women, depending on how you've been raised, your temperament, perhaps some of your baggage or trauma from your past, you may not have a comfortable relationship with anger. And oftentimes what manifests as anger actually comes out as depression. One of the definitions of depression is anger turned inward. So we have something, we have a a place where we've experienced a violation or we've experienced a frustration and we don't have a way to cope with it. We don't know what to do with that. And because anger is such a powerful emotion, when it is an emotion that we feel like is unacceptable or, um, is not allowed in our identity, then we have to subvert that emotion and let it vent in a different way. It doesn't come out as anger. So let's say we've experienced ongoing frustration or ongoing violation. And what I mean by violation is boundary violations where we are obligated out of fear or out of guilt or out of shame to operate on someone else's agenda and to live a life for other people. And so we've, we're not in touch with our own needs. We're not in touch with our own wants, our own desires. We're not in touch with the way that God has really wired us to show up in the world. And so we're living in other people's agendas rather than our own. And and so that may come out as frustration because I might be doing it and not even know that I'm doing it. Or it can be a real violation where we've been abused or we've been uh, violated in some way through emotional manipulation or um, psychological manip- manipulation. We've been compelled to be a secret keeper. Um, we've been compelled to cover for other people's bad behavior. And so we We've picked these dysfunctional patterns up. And yet at the same time, there, our soul is telling us that we're angry about it because we know that we're being violated. We're not, we're not um, being treated with the respect and dignity and worth that we truly deserve. And we don't know how to express that. So now we've got this anger going on. That's an unacceptable emotion. So we turn it in. And over time, in a period of months or years, as that anger turns in and it has nowhere to go, it begins to erode our mood. And it's like our our essence just like shuts down, like the light 
and the flame that we can be, the brightness and fullness that you were intended to be, sort of diminishes down to this tiny ember and everything else is gray. And sometimes that very same anger can express itself as anxiety. So now because I can't control so many things, I start to over control and overreact to the things around me that that are in my life. I have racing thoughts. I can't sleep at night or I try to control the environment that I have or close that environment down to be very small um, because I feel so out of control. And so what I love about what Ruth was sharing was her own journey of realizing that she had depression and then realizing that that depression came from anger, which stemmed from baggage and trauma that she needed to work through, that she needed to heal from. And one of the things that Ruth said was that it was actually like the the idea that um, this could all be healed and solved, like if only I prayed more, if I was like a better Christian or I read the Bible more. Um, and, and, and in a lot of ways, I think that there's freedom in realizing that God has given us spiritual tools for spiritual realities. And truly, I believe depression, anger, dealing with those things requires spiritual healing for sure. But spiritual healing comes in the form of all of the tools that God has created in this world. And God has created counseling and people who are trained as counselors, who are trained to walk with others through trauma. And if you have not listened to very early on in the podcast episode, I don't remember which episode it is, but Andy Kolber, if you go look back, Andy is a trauma-informed therapist who is a very early guest on the show. So, And she wrote a book called Try Softer, which is a great place to start. So Andy's practice and her education and her skills are steeped in her faith and the depth of her experience with God, but it comes out in the form of techniques and tips and ways that you can grow through the, um, you know, sort of the knowledge base of counseling. So let's not get confused about how spiritual healing happens. It's not that, it's not that prayer doesn't work. Prayer does work. Prayer works scripture works, but also counseling works, and sometimes medication works, and it's all of those things, all of those tools that God has given us when we find ourselves in a place where if that that image of just a gray, bleak landscape with this tiny, tiny ember left feels like what your soul feels like right now, then perhaps you want to look into this and ask those questions. Have I dealt with my past? Have I, have I, am I able to understand a redeemed story? Are there traumas in my life that I have not addressed, that I have not healed from? Have I learned the way forward into health and wholeness? Because it really is a learning. It's a, it's a process of actually learning and relearning and reframing our mind to understand what we are worth to understand our purpose, to learn how to actually enforce and keep healthy boundaries. And I got to tell you, if you have been a person surrounded by unhealthy people your entire life, you probably don't know what healthy boundaries are. You've probably never seen them actually like in action and you, you need healthy people around you. And as you become more healthy, you'll be attracted to more healthy people. As you become more healthy, your unhealthy people will either change and grow with you or you will leave them behind and they will no longer become your sort of safe people. You'll, you'll have a new understanding of what it means to live in health and wholeness. And that is possible. So thank you, Ruth, for sharing your journey with me and your story with me and where you're learning and growing through anger, depression, and boundaries. Okay. Making a little shift, although this is still kind of right in that same idea, because I like to say that we don't just heal 
for healing's sake. Um, We don't heal for healing's sake. We heal because healing is required for us to live out our purpose. Like healing is what gives us our purpose, our ability to go and be who God has made us to be. You have an important role to play in the world and in your world that you have right now. You have an important role to play in your family, in your work team, in your neighborhood. You have an important role to play, and that role is to be the fullness of who God has made you to be. So we heal so that we can be set free to the mission that God has given each one of us. Healing is required for that. And along the way, we experience joy and freedom and goodness and all of this abundance that is available to us so that we can do hard things, so that we can walk through suffering, which is still a part of life. Even after we've healed, we still have suffering in our lives. Um, But we can do that with a different perspective, a different mindset, truly a transformed heart and spirit. And that's what this is about. So this is a perfect segue into our next question from Deb. Deb had a question about Ephesians 2, verse 10. She was actually working through our 30-day Help My Bible is Alive, which is a 30-day Bible study designed to help you connect with God through His Word. It's like the whole 30 of Bible study. And so she was working through that, and she had this question. So she asked the question. There's a phrase in Ephesians 2, verse 10 that says that we are God's masterpiece created in Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And Deb's question was, what exactly are those good works? She was like, is this like, I know the work of God, I know the work of God's hand, but what would good works be? And I think that's a great question. It's also a great time to apply a really important principle from the Bible. So oftentimes when we hit a dead end, when we're reading scripture, we don't understand something, we need to consult other scripture to give us a fuller understanding of what is happening maybe in that context. And one of the things I love about the letters of Paul is that we have many of the letters. And there are many themes about Christian living that Paul like repeats in his letters. So you hear them come up again and again. And so when I heard this question from from Deb, my thought was I went right to 1 Corinthians 12, which is where Paul talks about this idea that we've been given spiritual gifts. And I love that uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says, now each to each is given a spiritual gift for the common good. So this is an idea that We've been given specific gifts that have universal application together. So the gift that I have and the gift that you have work together to bring glory to the body of Christ, to bring glory to the church. So a person who is amazing with two-year-olds in the children's ministry or a person who is creating beauty in their home and a person who has a encouragement or a leadership gift, both are needed. One is not more important than the other. But in addition to that, I I love this verse. I mean, what a promise that God not only has given you, as we know from 1 Corinthians 12, that he's given you a manifestation of specific gifts, but also he has given them to you and he's prepared a way for you to use them in advance. Like 
Before you were born, he knew where you would be today. Before you were born, he had this, his plan and this, this is the whole idea of a destiny and a purpose is related to these biblical principles. Like when you are living into the fullness of who God has made you to be, you will manifest specific gifts that God uses to bring glory to himself and uses to bring edification and maturity to the body of Christ, to the body of the church. Now, some people are like, well, what do you mean, Nicole? Like, what is it? What is that gift? And I'm like, you know what? God is creative and he's given us these unique temperaments, stories, wiring. I have a client right now who I'm just loving getting to know. Her story is so unique. And as her story has developed, it's like God is using every part of her story, good and bad, for the purposes of the life that she's living right now. And so I think rather than thinking of God's path as very narrow, like this, like there's this one gift and like you have to figure it out and he's got one work for you to do and you better figure it out. That's not actually what it says. It says God has created you with good works to do. Like you have good work ahead of you. And that good work might look like encouragement. That good work might be that you are just killing it in the business area and you you use your talent and you use your money and your influence. You use it for good purposes. And you are like a person who knows how to steward that talent and turn it around and use it. It might be your leadership gifts and you're showing up at the PTA. You're showing up in creative ways right now. You're showing up as a homeschool mom. You're showing up on a board somewhere. You're showing up with that fullness of that leadership because you see that we have work to do on this earth and it is good. That we're not just like waiting around for Jesus to come back and we don't need to do anything, but that actually you're about building the kingdom. You're about doing those things that bring God glory and doing them in a way that shine light on who Christ is in you and who Christ is for others. And that is what our good works are that are around us, that God really has an assignment for you. And if you don't know what that assignment is, that's okay. Remember, it's not this like narrow one thing that if you miss the boat one day, like God's like, forget it, the boat's never coming back. I I feel like the boat is pulling up like three times a day where God's like, I've got so much work to do. Jesus actually said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So I always want to believe like the harvest is plentiful, people. There is plenty of work to go around. So how you show up for that work, how you show up in your day, look for the things that stand out for you. Pray about it. Say, God, what is my assignment right now? What is my assignment in this season? Pray about it and be open to what he has to say to you because it may not look the way that you think. A lot of times we we put together, we superimpose God's assignment and like this like glorious life of like fame and fortune that we think are somehow going to align. Uh-uh. That is completely inaccurate. So just pray that God would reveal to you like what problems he has for you to solve. What passion do you have that you want to do something about? And do one thing. Just do one thing. Um, that's enough for now. The good works will keep coming because I truly do believe the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Okay. I was really going there on a rant. All right, this is the last question. This is all we have time for today is one more question from Sean Kyra. Sean Kyra. Sean Kyra. 
I girl, I don't know how to say your name, and I really wish I did. I think it's Kyra though at the end. So I'm gonna go with that. Sean Kyra. Um, listening to this show has a couple of questions. And one of her questions is, is the Enneagram biblically safe? Because it is in the is it in the same category as like a horoscope? And I really appreciate that question. Um, this is what I believe about the Enneagram. First of all, the Enneagram is not like a horoscope. A horoscope is you were born at this time, so here I'm gonna declare all these things over your life because of when you were born. The Enneagram is a self-report. Like you you're actually <laughs> you're actually diving into your own self and then reporting out and then the Enneagram is kind of giving you nine types of personality. And the Enneagram's been used for years and years. It's just come into popularity. I see it as one of many tools that if used correctly allows you to grow. It allows you to be transformed. It allows you to come closer to Christ because the Enneagram does this amazing work of connecting us to some of our potential kind of primary woundings and the way that we live those out in fear, in shame, or in anger. And those are kind of the three triads of the Enneagram. And so when we connect through our own report, through our own discovery, so it's not like a horoscope that's just like out there, this kind of weird you know, not connected to us. This is us reporting on our own experiences. The Enneagram gives us some language to be able to understand some of our sin patterns, the way that our ego tries to cover up for us and gives us an invitation into growth. And because of that, I love and use the Enneagram full wholeheartedly. Now, don't use the Enneagram to declare like life over yourself. Don't use the Enneagram like it's Jesus Christ himself. Don't use the Enneagram to diagnose other people. There's lots of things not to use it for, but if you use it as a way to understand yourself more fully and really to make that connection between what you might be trying to hide from what's in you that feels primarily something unworthy, unloved, scared, whatever, what is in there and how might you grow through that to abundance and freedom in Christ. It is a beautiful tool. I recommend Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R. He's kind of the father of like the modern um, engagement with the Enneagram and also the Enneagram is a great place to just get some more knowledge. But again, hold it loosely. We have to hold everything loosely, everything outside of God's word. We hold loosely. You have to discern what is good and right about it. All of it. That is our responsibility as Christians who are living in this world is to discern what is good and right. And so I loved this question. Thank you for sending it in. And her second question was about, are we in the end times? And I mean, (laughs) holy moly, if there was ever a time that felt more like what the Bible talks about the end days feeling like, truly the end days, like people against people and all of this. And I think we've been in that for a while. But also, this is where I find comfort in this whole conversation. Because whenever somebody wants to talk about end times, people want to talk about prophecy, want to talk about revelation, I just want to ask, like, what is this doing for you? Like when you have this discussion, is this making you more fearful or less? Is this making you more judgmental or less? Is this making you more tribalizing, like circling the wagons and spending time only with Christians or less? Because if those kind of conversations bring you anxiety and fear and shut you down, then they're not conversations you should be having because God has not called us to a spirit of fear and he has not called us to shut down. It is very clear in scripture. People have been asking the question about end times since the beginning, like as soon as Jesus was resurrected, people are like, is this it? Is this it? Is this the end? And believe me, the world has been through some 
end times kind of stuff. And in all of that, there's this constant encouragement. First Thessalonians 4 and 5, Paul is answering this exact question that comes to him because believers are like, should we keep working or should we just be waiting for the end times? And he's like, you need to keep working. You need to keep on manifesting good for those around you. It says in scripture that the end will come like a thief in the night. No one will know when it comes. Even Jesus said like, only my father knows the end times. So we're not here to kind of predict when that's going to be. Just live like it is. Just live like it's the end. If the end makes you more courageous in your love and more bold in your message and more open with your heart and with your hospitality and with your work, then do it. If talking about the end times makes you more anxious, more fearful, more shut down, more judgmental, if you're around people who are talking and the words they're using are words of discord, the words they're using are words of criticism and turning you against people groups, Jesus did not turn against people groups. The only people that he was the most harsh with were religious leaders. So watch who you're following. Watch who you're listening to. Ask yourself, is this person promoting a spirit of fear and divisiveness and hate, even if they're in the church? Or is this person promoting a spirit of unity, of love, of reconciliation, of hospitality? Because we need to be drawn toward that. Jesus is going to come when Jesus is going to come. It says clearly in scripture that we will not know the day or hour. It says clearly in scripture, people will just keep on living. And so we need to keep on living, but live with urgency. Just go ahead and live with urgency if that urgency is a mandate of love, not if it is a manifestation of hate. Like that, get away from that stuff. Like don't listen to that. Like girl, go back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Like I mean, you got to get back to the confidence and the joy and the peace that we have in Christ. And I think that if you go to 1 Thessalonians, if you have that question, read 1 Thessalonians, just get a feel for how Paul addresses that. And just this like spirit of thankfulness and joy and love that that Paul has. See, I mean, Paul is, is, he ain't playing around, but Paul has a love for the grace of Jesus Christ. And the message is about how more and more people can come to know the grace of Jesus Christ. It is not a message of condemnation and hate and sort of shutting it down. It's a message of urgency to come into the kingdom. And there's a big difference between those two. Okay, you guys, thank you so much for your questions. Keep sending them in. Love to have these conversations. You can find me a million and one different places. You can DM me on Instagram or Facebook, um, and I'll try to answer your questions periodically through the show. Thanks for being here, and we'll talk next week. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Be Real with Nicole Eunice. We'd love to hear from you. Have a topic to suggest or a tricky situation you need help with? Send us an email or a voice memo to Nicole at NicoleEunice.com, and we may feature you on the show. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode.